Welcome to Love Your Family again and again and again and again, the podcast where we focus on parenting with love and clarity. I'm Dr. Marcy, a family culture expert who for over 20 years has been helping parents to create happy and strong families. Well, today my conversation is with this lovely, dedicated mom, Anna, who has three amazing kids that I'm going to let her share with you about her family. So welcome, Anna. Thanks, Marcy. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you here. So tell everyone about what your family looks like, who it's made up of, what's fabulous about y'all. Awesome. So my husband and I have three children, as you said. We have a 15-year-old boy, a 12-year-old girl, and a nine-year-old boy. And we live in Brooklyn. We have a dog as well. And I think we are focusing this conversation on my daughter, who is definitely the middle child. Her name is Lucy. She is 12 and in seventh grade. And in a lot of ways, she is kind of a stereotypical middle child in that she definitely gets the least of our attention sometimes, but in part because she is so self-sufficient. And that is definitely a double-edged sword. She is very happy to go off and do her own thing for a while, but it also means that because she's not constantly asking for our attention, then sometimes it can be hours where we're like, we haven't seen Lucy in a while. Where is she? Um, and so it has, it has pluses and minuses, but I love her independence. I love that she has a, a really strong opinion of what she wants and the way that she thinks she should do things. I think that she is a lot like I was and am uh, from that age. And um, so I see, I do see a lot of myself in her in those ways, um, in ways that are both great, but also frustrating as a parent sometimes. Yeah. I, as you were talking about her strong opinion and her independence, I was like, she's going to take that and rule the world one day with it Yeah, as long as she can get there, right? I often see that duality of especially kids and needing to get through school and needing to be part of a family. There can be clashes with that beautiful passion that is, I want it my way. I want to to do this how I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about her and I think different from some other kids who are very passionate is that she... Her passion is quiet. She, I would call her like an immovable rock. She knows what she wants. She's not going to fight you about it. She's not like those tweens or teens who are going to be loud and brash and confrontational. She um, will just listen to what you're saying and she'll say, okay, but then she'll go and do what she wants to do after that in the way that she wants to do it. Um, she is, I would definitely call her conflict averse. Um, but she's just got this quiet, you know, force about her that I both admire and find really frustrating sometimes. I am on my side of this conversation laughing so hard because (laughs) the, the idea of her being like, yep. mm -hmm, Okay. I hear you. And then going off and doing it the way she wanted to, like, I, (laughs) I love that. I There's so much about that that I love and so much about that that makes it very tricky to parent her, I am sure. So yes. let's... Do you think that the conflict averseness comes from 
who she is. Like she just, she's like, yeah, doesn't matter what you're telling me. I'm going to go do my thing. Or do you think that's a learned behavior or some kind of combination of the two? Like, and I ask that because I feel quite frankly, like so many women are conflict averse because we have been societally conditioned to just make everybody else happy. Yeah. But the flavor you're describing doesn't feel really like that. So I just would love your take on that. And then we'll dive into some of the details. I think that she is distress averse. And I think that this comes up in a lot of different ways. So the distress that comes from conflict, the distress that comes from the anxiety of trying something new and not feeling familiar in that context, Um, the distress that comes from pain. When she was like 18 months, she had a reputation in her daycare as being like the kid who would scream bloody murder every time, like the littlest, she got hurt in the littlest sort of way. She still has a really low pain tolerance. (laughs) Um, So I I put that in that category. I think that, um, you know, when she experiences distress from being anxious about a test at school or about feeling like she's going to get in trouble with her teachers or something like that, all of these sorts of things cause her anxiety and she is avoidant of that. So it comes up in a lot of different contexts. And I think that is partly her. And then I think that the avoidance is something that she has learned over time. Okay. Excellent. And it's, it's interesting that when she was physically in pain as a young child, she would make a really big scene. Hmm. But now what you're seeing, and I don't know if that still happens, if she is physically in pain, if it is still loud, but that when she is emotionally in pain or psychologically in pain, she gets really she quiet. Does. Yes. Yeah. Which... Um, yeah. She's definitely learned to, I think, pull it inward more. Even now when she is in pain, she is definitely likely to seek out our reassurance and comfort, but it's not as loud. And she typically doesn't do it around other people. She just holds it in. Yeah. Um, I will say this also extends to emotional conversations. She really does not like talking about difficult topics. Um, it's, it's quite a chore for her. So whenever we are talking about something, she doesn't like to talk about what's bothering her. She doesn't like it when her father and I try to talk to her about something that we feel that she needs to do a little better on. Um, like those, those conversations are, are hard for her. Will she talk about her good emotions? If something's going on that she's really excited about or she does really well on a test and she's really proud of herself, will she have the emotional conversation in a, in the pot, what we would put in the positive box? Mm-hmm. She will. And it's certainly easier for her to do that. And she will even sometimes seek us out to tell us good news. But a lot of times you do need to draw it out of her. You need to actually ask what's something good that happened today. And then she'll tell you. Um, she doesn't usually volunteer. And in general, when she comes home from school, you do you get a download of what her day was like? Is she a chatty kid? Or, you know, my mom will tease me that when I was a kid, I'd come home from school and she would say to me, Marcy, how was your day? And she's like, and three hours later, you'd stop and take a breath. <laughs> I can see that, Marcy. Yeah. <laughs> no one's surprised by that fact, right? <laughs> Is Lucy that kind of kid? Does she chat about other things or is she really the kid who's kind of like, it was good and goes and, and kind of does, does her own. Definitely the latter. She is not a chatty kid. She doesn't have problems talking. And if you get her on a particular topic, she will be and and in a particular mood, she'll be happy to talk. But most of the time you have to ask the question. 
she she won't just volunteer. She's not chatty in that way. Yeah, which, and I, I just want to highlight that in terms of her not wanting to have the emotional conversation, especially the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. If she in general is not a, I'm going to seek out human conversation, right. well, it does make sense that the harder conversation she's definitely not going to seek out. Yes. So it just falls in a different perspective, at least for me, in thinking about how how to bring this into a more comfortable place and when, mm-hmm. because if it was me and I'm not willing to have the conversation, that's one thing because I will talk to anyone, anywhere, anyhow, I love it. <laughs> yeah. But with Lucy, the fact that she is, is quieter across the board, that's not a bad thing. That's not, that's just who she is. And that's beautiful, which needs to be part of the solution of how do we get her to talk through some of these moments that she needs to talk through And really what I'm thinking is that the first step is getting her to do some things that she doesn't want to do without the conversation being so in-depth. And then the second step of building this muscle for her would be for her to talk about it. That's a really great point. That just even at baseline, she is not someone who talks easily. Um, So building the muscle, I think, is a really good way of putting it. Yeah. It sounds like she's a doer. Yep. She she wants to go do her thing. Yeah. So given that. I agree with all of that. Awesome. I love when we're on the same page. (laughs) Makes the conversation flow so much better. (laughs) Even though I'm not very, very conflict averse. A little, you know, we can have that too and that's fine. (laughs) So let's talk about some, let's, let's get into some of the things, what would be a first step of a doing thing? So what is kind of low hanging fruit of things that you think of, I'm trying to get her to do, it's something new that makes her uncomfortable. And and what does she do with it? Mm-hmm. Kind of how does that unfold? So we can think about how could you do something differently to encourage her to step out of her comfort zone in an action-based way? Hmm. So one of the ways that this, this fear of doing new things that I think has worried me the most is in the social realm. She doesn't easily approach new kids, start conversations with new kids. I think that she is fine when other people approach her, but, you know, it's middle school and everybody is awkward and it's hard to just think that a middle schooler is going to come up and start strike up a conversation with her. So she has had the same group of friends uh, for a while and they are great. They are, they're fine. They're good. Um, But I don't think that she has been open to new friendships in a while. And it has come up in camps and other activities where that has been a problem. So um, that's not exactly a low-hanging fruit. I think that's kind of a complex issue. So I need to think of, uh, you know, a we first step. We can pull low-hanging fruit yeah, out of that. Yeah, maybe we can though. like figure out a first step yeah. for that. I, I will say that one thing that is new and exciting is that I, she had invited a new girl to her birthday party last November, and I just invited this girl over for a play date this weekend. And so that is kind of a first step of maybe starting a new friendship, which I hope will blossom into something else. Um, So there are some things I think that 
I can do to support her in this, but I would love to find some ways of her taking that initiative for herself or feeling more comfortable being able to do that. I don't know how realistic that is. Super realistic because everything is changeable. All behavior can change. We just have to take the steps. And I love that you recognize that you can take some steps for sure. Yet really soon. Okay. Not so soon, but really soon (laughs) she's going to be a teen and then a young adult and need the skills herself because at 15 or at 17, you setting up playdates for her isn't going to fly so well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, her having the skills while you're also supporting her, right? The the fact that she invited a new girl to her birthday party and six months later is her first play date. (laughs) It's a slow burn. Yes, definitely a slow burn. It's a good description of her. (laughs) Yeah. And so some of it is also conceptualizing that of me, I meet a new friend and I find it really interesting that I keep comparing Lucy to me because there is such a contrast And I'm using it to point out that neither of us are right or wrong. It's just different, right? I need a new friend. I want to see you every day. Like, I'm really excited. At least once a week, we have to have lunch because I want to know everything about you yesterday. Like, I just... And (laughs) And if she could meet a person like you, that would be the best. (laughs) The best pairing (laughs) of an extrovert and an introvert to pull the introvert along. I think that that would be fantastic. I have not found you in a 12-year-old form yet. That's absolutely fair. I was thinking if only I was a seventh grader Um, and I have (laughs) absolutely have friends that are introverts that are like, oh my gosh, you're calling again. And I'm like, yes. And I'm making plans with you again. So you better look at your calendar. And they're like, what is up? And I'm like, I really like you. I think you're amazing. And I want to know more. And they're like, oh, you know, compliment an introvert. They're willing to show up. Nice. So, and my introvert friends had to be responsive. Yes. So that's what I really think of as the first step with Lucy is when she is in a new environment, especially outside of school, right? If, if she has a group of friends in school, she, has, she, she knows the routine, maybe when the transition is high school or somewhere else and she doesn't have that safety net, it's going to be more important. She can practice in school now, but she's not as motivated because she has her comfort zone. Yeah, but exactly. A class, a, an activity a camp, something like that. Is she open and receptive? And that's, that's where I would start kind of talking to her, but giving her the suggestions because it's a doing thing. Mm -hmm. Lots of kids that, that I've been around that have what you are describing of the, it's hard for them in social moments will sit in a new environment, reading a book Mm -hmm. or, you know, on their phone, if technology is allowed in that space, or, you know, like with their arms crossed, looking out the window. Well, I don't want to approach that person. They're not approachable. But if you sit and you put the book down and you're looking around, if you see, even if just your body language of your arms not being crossed, but your arms being open and by your side, small things like that to talk to her about of this will create a space where someone will want to come and talk to you. Sure. It might be too big of a step to say, you need to go say hi to three people which is, I feel mm-hmm. like often a social skills, you know, mark of go, go say, go ask three people to play and see what happens. Well, that right. I feel like is a gigantic leap for her. <laughs> yeah. Can she sit and be aware of people? I feel like a stretch would be, can she try to make eye contact with somebody? Like even just mm. looking at three people's faces, maybe they'll look back and she can make eye contact. 
-hmm. which I think would be a big deal for her. Yeah, I think you're right. And so it's, and that is something she can do. She doesn't have to talk about it. And in the conversation with you, she can just listen. She doesn't have to talk about how it makes her feel in that moment. You know, two years from now, we can have that conversation because she's a slow mover. (laughs) But it starts to teach her the skills that if you think about it as adults, if you walk into a meeting and the other person is like all occupied with something else, you assume they don't want to be in that meeting. Yes. If you walk into, you know, meeting a lunch with, with some new people and one of them's got their head down doing the thing on their phone, you assume they don't want to talk to you. But if they're trying to be open, we're more likely to walk in. So I might start there with her of, you want friends, you like Mm -hmm. people. Well, maybe certain people, not all people. She might not like all people and that's (laughs) okay. Yeah. But when you go to this new class, when you go to this new camp, can you hold your, can you hold your arms in a place that makes you look open, AKA not having them folded? Yeah. Have them by your side. Okay. Try to make eye contact with a couple of people or just like look at someone's face. Yeah. Because that lets them know that you're open for them to come talk to you. Okay. Um, yeah. That sounds that, good. Yeah. That's a good first step. Mm-hmm. The other thing some of this makes me think of is just being uncomfortable in general mm-hmm. is probably not something she wants to do. No. Nope. Never. Yep. In so, fact, one of her personality characteristics is that she is always seeking out soft things, furry things, comfortable places to sit and curl up. Like that is definitely a defining part of Lucy. I love that because who doesn't <laughs> want to like curl up with a cozy blanket and, you know, yeah, do something fabulous, like read a really delicious book. Cause I picture her as a reader, even though you didn't say that, but I associate that together. So she, this is an interesting offshoot of this. She is a reader, but only of the, of the, um, series that she already knows. Well, this is actually, I'm quite a reader. And so I have been trying to get her to read new and different books. And she always wants to go back to the same series that she's known forever. And it's the Percy Jackson series. She will read and reread those books, but trying to get her to try something new. Magic Treehouse, then Percy Jackson. She'll read things for school if she has to. She has just started one of the offshoots of the Percy Jackson series, finally. And she's loving it, which is awesome. And I want to build on that success without being like, see, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, the see, I told you so won't work out no, so well. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But it's it's fascinating to see how it even extends in, into her reading material and her, um, you know, her leisure time. She wants to just do sort of the same things that she's used to. So is it... Same things she's used to, eating the same food she she knows she likes, going the same places she knows she likes doing. I mean, she's not super rigid in that way, but okay. she but given her own devices, would she eat pasta and mac and cheese every single day for every single meal? Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, would she always go to the same places? Yeah. But you know, she but she'll do it because I make dinner for her and she eats the she'll eat the new dinner and she'll go to the new places. So she's not super rigid and avoidant in that way. But when it comes to something that she can make a choice on, like what book material, what shows she's watching, you know, and then what friends she's reaching out to, it's always the same, the same, the same. Okay. So hang with me for this thought. Okay. What if it is that she actually is distressed 
about the new food that you made for dinner, but it would be more distressing to have the conflict with you to tell you she doesn't like it. Ah. Like, I wonder if there's a hierarchy of if you make a family plan to go to a new place, she's kind of balancing the the discomfort of the newness of the place versus the discomfort of the confrontation mm-hmm. in telling you she doesn't like it. Because she's yeah, not possible. a big emotive kid, it's yeah. sort of this hierarchy of which provides more comfort uh-huh. and she'd rather have the comfort of you in the new place yeah. than be in a fight with you and not go to the new place. It's possible. Um, I actually don't see too much evidence of distress in new places. But again, it's because I'm there. I think that if she were, I think you would absolutely see it if she were sent off to do it on her own, which is, I I think one of the reasons a summer camp is sometimes hard for her. Um, But I see what you're saying that I I can absolutely see her brain working in that way that the, the hierarchy of distress and like, what's uh, what's, what's the better solution of just focusing on the things that are less distressing. Okay, cool. So maybe the food example is wrong, but the concept might be right, which means we can use that concept in thinking about introducing her to new things. Okay. In All getting right. in in the thought of it's her leisure time, she can read whatever she wants, right? There's no Right. Right. But can we create, can we manufacture, can we build? a contingency where it is more comfortable to read the new thing than to read the old comfortable thing. Because reading the old comfortable thing comes with something hard. And I don't know exactly the details yet because we're (laughs) we're thinking through this, right? But I wonder if it's a, we're going to read this new series and it's going to be mom and Lucy time, curled up with your favorite blanket, We're going to send everybody out of the house and then we're going to have your favorite dinner of mac and cheese, you and me. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to read it out loud. So you don't even have to read the book. You just have to sit with me and listen to the new story. That she would do. I have actually managed to get her to listen to new stories that I wanted her to read if I read them out loud when it comes to her own time. Maybe if I build it in with the rest of the context that you're talking about um, and then we have quiet, read on your own time. Maybe I could get her to do it that way if I make it enticing the rest yeah. of the way. So I also realized I, 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 in the experience, I flipped the language yes. and I want to highlight that because it's also what I believe to be I true, right? I was too. like right. the distress level, right? We're talking about like, which is more distressing. And I was like, wait, wait, wait that actually, actually doesn't you're making it more attractive. Feel good. Like how can we make it more comfortable to do the hard things as opposed to add distress to the hard things? Right. Um, so let's <laughs> so be really thinking, clear. I was thinking, well, I could just nag her a lot about the <laughs> old books that she's reading. So it would be less distressing if she just read the new book. And I was like, right. I don't think that's going to work. We don't need to <laughs> add pain in order to expand her comfort zone. Not really the way we want to do it. We want to bring more goodness into the thing that's hard. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. So I do, I love that you have tried this reading out loud and she's willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you're like, okay, you're going to read a new book. I'm going to read a new book and we're going to sit here together for just five minutes. And then we're going to go do this amazing thing that you love together. You and me. Okay. Or then I'm going to leave you alone. Cause maybe she really just wants you to leave yeah, her alone after that. But, um, one of kind of giving her a really small step of that new thing 
along with all of the other comfort, because what that starts to do, it pairs it, mm-hmm. is new things are kind of delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and that's that's going to be a, a growth concept for her. And start yeah. with the thing she loves doing, aka reading. I, I can see that being uh, a slow burn, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think that that will take a long time to build that muscle, but I'm willing to give it a try. Yeah. I mean, she's got a lifetime to figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you don't have a lifetime to teach her this, but if she starts to realize I can do new things that I don't want to do in a way that actually feels good, all of the other pieces can feel good to me, except mm-hmm. this one piece that's new, she's going to be more willing to do new things. Yeah, that makes sense. And hopefully what will happen is what you're seeing with the, the new offshoot of books that she's reading is once she starts the new thing, she's like, oh, this is cool. Yes. And more open to some of the other offshoots. Yes. That's what I'm really, really hoping for. Yeah. But it's making conflict, <clears throat> conflict and distressing moments more comfortable. Okay. Right. Which Sounds gives good. me another thought about the emotional conversations, which I know we were said we were doing that second, but I guess we're at the second part of the conversation. So you have these tools in your back pocket. Okay. What we often do as adults, and especially adults who are good at having hard conversations or good at having emotional conversations, is that we want to have a very long, in-depth conversation with our children who don't know how to do this as well. Mm -hmm. And so the conversation just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And they're like, oh my goodness, how I just, just... I'm done. Please stop talking. Yes. She absolutely gets to that point. And she'll even say, can we stop talking about this now? And then you keep going. No, I try to stop at that point. Okay, good. Yay! Yay! (laughs) But could I cut it off earlier? Probably. So I would actually start the conversations with a timer. Look, I I need to talk to you about it for three minutes. Oh, okay. And I make it really short, two or three minutes. Okay. It's an important topic. I'm going to talk a little bit. You're going to talk a little bit. When the timer goes off, we're done. No matter where we are in the conversation. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. It's over. That's cool. And so you can have lots of little emotional conversations with her, but they're, they're little. She doesn't, she isn't in for the 10 or 20 minute processing conversation. No, for sure. But just like we want to make everything else comfortable when she's reading so that the new book doesn't feel as painful. Mm-hmm. we want to make everything around the emotional conversations easier as well. So if she, she can sustain three minutes of something hard. She might not like it, but she can do it. Okay. And you want to build that muscle. So, you know, her being a slow burn, it might be that for six months, you do a three minute conversation with her and then you move it to four. Okay. That's a good idea. But that it's a really slow uptick, or you might find that you guys really kind of get this rhythm of these short emotional conversations. That's all she needs. She might never be a kid who wants to do an hour of therapy. <laughs> Me, I'm like, yes, can I have another one of those, please? Let's talk more about my feelings. Not her. Lucy's a different kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Until she gets a friend like me who makes her, who just, yeah. just listen to all <laughs> the just feelings. draws it out of her. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's a pretty concrete thing we could try. Awesome. Okay. Are there any other particular places or scenarios that you want to talk through or you feel like you have enough for right now? Well, um, 
I know that one of the things that we are often, we have a lot of tension around is, um, she, she does not realize that she needs to brush her hair and take a shower and like all these sorts of things that I think just don't bother her. So it's not entering her sphere of, um, you know, consciousness, but I see it and then I need her to do it. And so again, I think it's like sort of getting into a new routine, um, you know, doing these things is taking time away from the time that she would like to be doing her own thing and that kind of stuff. Um, so I just feel like we're constantly like, did you brush your hair? No. Why haven't you brushed your hair? Why do I always have to tell you to brush your hair? And you haven't brushed your hair for four days. And so now it's a giant rat's rat's nest. And now it's going to be painful when I try and get all the tangles out, all these sorts of things. Yep. So my first thought is to build it in again, as that comfort place. If you take two minutes every day to brush your hair, we never have to take 20 minutes to undo the rat's nest. That I have told her. I actually think it's not a resistance thing. It's a memory thing. And um, I think that she she does do it when I tell her to do it. She never remembers to do it for herself, though. In part oh. Because it doesn't, like... She doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. It's just not a motivating thing for her. Okay. So um, does she have a cell phone or some technological device? An iPad. Uh, reminder. Put a timer on her iPad that every day at, you tell me what time, because I don't know your family schedule, but like every day mm-hmm. at X time, it goes off. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the cool thing about iPad reminders is you can label them. True. So you, <clears throat> so her timer can show up and the reminder, rather than it saying timer and it going off and she'd be like, I don't know why this is going off. You can say, go brush your hair. So the timer awesome. will tell her what to do. Takes you out of the equation. Yeah, I think I can do that. The one caveat I would say to her is to remind her that if she is not going to get up and do it right then in that (laughs) moment, because she's in the middle of something else, then she has to hit the snooze button on the timer, which will give Mm -hmm. her nine more minutes. And she has to be prepared to get up in nine minutes and go do it. Okay. Because the way you talk talk about her really enjoying the things she does on her own. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it'll be hard to break, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's very easy to turn off a timer and then go back to what you're doing and never get up. Mm -hmm. So there'll need to be a little bit of teaching, aka you might need to have the same timer on your phone for the first week as well. Mm -hmm. And when it goes off, both of you, you're like, oh, it's time for me to brush my hair too. And the two of you go, aka you you are checking in on her, Mm -hmm. but you're pretending you're doing it for yourself. (laughs) Okay. So Because she's, she's not three. Yes. And if she was, then you could just do it for her. But this is about building her independence. So it does, I don't want it to be you walking in being like, okay, Lucy, your timer went off. We have to do the thing being like, oh, I'm going to get my hairbrush. Your timer too. You're going to get your hairbrush. Oh, you snoozed yours. Cool. Okay. So that the teaching is engaged, but not a, I told you to. Yes. And I can do that for her showers and things like that too. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the independence of her having her own timer on her own device, mm-hmm. um, you have to be thoughtful if there are limits to you know when she can or cannot be on it. You want it to be at a time that the timer goes off when she's actually going to be near the device. Yeah, I'll have to figure that out. There are definitely positives to kids having cell phones, so the fact that she does not have one yet is a little harder in that way, but it's fine. We'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> 
Yeah. Or get, you know, if she's usually in her room at that time, get a regular alarm clock, put it in her room, it'll go off. Ooh. It won't have the same remo- like flashing reminder necessarily. So old school. I know. <laughs> I can get around all the technology if we need to. I don't know how to navigate the things on the screen as well as kids right. do. But I know how to navigate around technology anytime you need to. Because Love sometimes it. limits are important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. But I... I think that she's going to need something to kind of wake her up as opposed to it just being a to-do list, right? I love a good to-do list, but she's not going to look at it. That's yes. We have had that problem before too. So she needs something that is going to impact her environment and, and require her to take action on that item, AKA an alarm going off Mm -hmm. because otherwise she has a mom telling her. Mm -hmm. But you know, again, when she's 15 or 17 or 22, we don't want you to be the reason she remembers to brush her hair. Yeah, right. But no one would ever know if she had an alarm on her phone every morning reminding her to not just wake up, but also to brush her hair. Okay. Sounds so, good. I can do yeah. that. All right. So, so now that we have a plan of how to navigate all of this, I'm very excited. <laughs> and what is the one thing, right? Because we talked about a couple different things, several different ways yeah. And I am a big believer that when we try to do all of all of the things at once, mm-hmm. we get overwhelmed and stop doing everything and there's no progress. Yeah, so making okay. sure we break it down, what is your one first step that you're going to make sure you start doing from all the things we chatted about? Um, I know this is not what you're getting at, but for me, the very first step is actually remembering that this is not her baseline. This is not her, her particular personality. And then, so I have to remember that she needs these small steps um, to build those muscles. And then the more concrete things of like, you know, setting a timer and pairing the hard thing with something small that, but breaking it down into a small step that she can do, but pairing it with something really attractive, you know, all of those things I think are, are great, like step 1.5 maybe, but like for me, the very first thing needs to be just remembering that, this is not, she's not starting from a place where she just knows this and can do this. Um, I think that's really important. I love that as a first step. I love that as the one thing. I think that is so great. <laughs> because if you remember that, then you'll be inspired to take the action step. Okay. Right. As opposed to sometimes in these conversations, I feel like parents get stuck on the, this is the one thing I'm supposed to do, which granted mm-hmm. I set you up to do that. But then a year <laughs> later, we're still stuck on like, this is the one thing. Cause we get in um, our own habits as humans. Yeah. And so this idea that this isn't her baseline and she needs, she needs help and, and really seeing her for who she is and helping her from where she is to grow. I think that's an amazing t- one takeaway Oh, because okay. it will lead you to take the right step in the right moment with her. Okay. Beautiful. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you, Anna, for being here and chatting with me and sharing all of the, the contrast between Lucy and me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And if only we could find a 12 year old version of you, Marcy, I think that she would have a friend for life. I'm going to start looking. I'm probably going to start looking, see if I can find someone and I'll send them your way. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really good to talk to you. Yes. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.
And thank you for listening. I know your time is precious and limited. I'm grateful that you shared it with us today. What's your one takeaway? Just one small step can make a big difference. Make sure you know when new episodes come out by subscribing here and joining my mailing list at drmarcy.com backslash podcast. Do you want to be a guest on a future episode of Love Your Family again and again and again and again? Then go to drmarcy.com backslash podcast guest and let me know. Finally, do you need individualized help for your family? Then go to drmarcy.com backslash contact and connect with my team to learn how we can help you. Remember, blue skies are ahead and we're going to get there together.